Hey, this is Bob and the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That is our theme song of our podcast. Yes, and I've been looking forward to hearing that all day. Don't die. That's the key to life, is an old joke, and we've taken it. Taking it to a recovery standard. Wait, before you start, Bob, can I say that we have a Don't Die group? It's on Facebook, and it's got 218 members, and it's kind of cool. It's full um, and stuff. So I think you you've got-, got it set up as private, don't you? I don't know. I just, you have to request to be part of the group. I don't want just any schmuck jumping in there. I want somebody to lost. How do I get people in that, that listen to our show? And so many, anyway. many people know Mike Mart is na- primary Native American, but he uses Jewish slang like schmuck. That's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 is, there, is there part Jew in you on top of the it's, Native it's, American? Oh, I'm sure there is. I was raised by a Jewish family. <laughs> what? I was. My <laughs> friends my friends growing up were a Jewish family that I was like, you know, what is what is this bar mitzvah you're talking about? What are we doing? This is great. You know, they got so, mopeds. That's what they got. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they were my closest friends, the Trachtenbergs. They were awesome. Oh, I yeah. remember. Yeah, I know Trachtenberg. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah. So, so, here, uh, so, wait, so you learned say, the word schmuck. You learned the word schmuck from them. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned, I learned many things from them. I learned many things from them. Mike, so, I was at McDonald's. And I then, was thinking of you because the lady next to us is obviously this is America. This is the America I want. Lady was so nice. She has a daughter about the same age as Idris. They were playing in the playground area at McDonald's together. And she's obviously Native American. And just to cinch it, she had Native American, um, like Anthony has, like, like a Native American f- face tattoo and whatever. And her kid is tan colored. Uh, and and so her husband and <laughs> No, you're she's, being so she's, politically she's, correct. So you were well, Jewish. I mean, no, she <laughs> she looked like you know, like like a, a native, but very light skin. Then her kid was like darker skin, and then the husband came in. He's black, and then Idris, who's bro- blonde haired and blue eyed, is playing with this little mixed race kid, Native American and African American, and it was at McDonald's in Laverne, and it was just so beautiful. And we were all just so, it was just so cool. Why does everybody in America not want that, Chuck? I don't get it. Why, why, when it, when you're in it, when you're like a primary white Caucasian and you're with a Native American who's the people we stole this land from and murdered, and then this African American whose history has came over and enslaved, and all three of us are with our kids at McDonald's hanging out and laughing and having fun, and our kids are playing together. That is what fucking America is. What it's, is wrong? What is the, wrong with the people? Why don't they see the beauty in that? Well, look, they, you, and them are raising kids appropriately, properly to not see that, to just see kids, right? To just well, what see is, people. What is one of these white supremacists? What do they 
they have to have experienced that too at McDonald's mm, or whatever. Think, like, I, what what did they experience? I think they're did indoctrinated they, early on. Chuck's right; they're indoctrinated into this us versus them mentality. Mm-hmm. And whether it's us versus them in races, or us versus them in classism, or us versus them in in red team, blue team, or us versus them, little children don't see us versus them. They don't. No, but you hear little kids; they start. With things like politics, how do little kids even understand politics? Because they're taught, you know, and this is this, there is, there is a, a sickness, but I think that the sickness is being seen for what it is. And you don't have to go very far to see, I mean, in LA, things are a lot more mixed than they are in Orange County. And then in, in England and France, at least from what I saw, way more mixed and way, it's like not even a thing. You know, right. and I was thinking today about this this statement, uh, "America, love it or leave it," and how it's a negative. The the right wing has has taken that statement and made it into, you know, what get the fuck out. But really, what it says is a love it or leave it, which means to me that you know, listen, there are faults along with America. There are all kinds of things that you need to accept in America. So just love it, just love it, or you know what, or, or you could leave it if you want, but it's not like a negative thing, you know? It's just, just fix it, just love it. We should it. make a new, embrace it or leave it. Yeah. <laughs> Except Love it, it no, with all no, its words. If you want to be embrace real, it, exactly, Chuck. If you want to be real kosher to the AA thing, accept it or leave it. Accept it or leave it. I like it. Accept right, it. It's, it's not speak English or die. It's, you know, which is the direction where it leans now. Well, I think, I think we're going in a really dark place. This is the problem of our society is nobody's getting out in the mix of society. Everybody's living in their cocoons. I feel myself that way. Uh, Sid said uh, the other day, how come you call it work when you just go in your office? Like uh, that, uh, that, I, that I'm not that I'm not leaving and going somewhere because she's catching on at school. Like other people who work go in a car and go somewhere. You just go in your office and shut the door. That's not work. Yeah. <laughs> That's not work. You just yeah. watch TV and stuff. So yeah, I got the TV on with no sound. I like uh, so so I I had to go I I had to go into work on Friday. It was so mm. fucked on friday and the meeting was at three and rather than and i'm so stupid rather than just accept when i knew the day before that it was going to be three o'clock like oh you're fucked like you know just take it easy bob it's going to take you two hours to get home i was in the meeting like kind of looking at my phone like come on now let's wrap this up because i could you know at like at, <laughs> at like three at like 354 i was thinking i could beat traffic on a fucking Friday? Are you kidding nah. me? You yeah. fucking idiot. And so <laughs> I was, I was, and part of it I wasn't even listening to because I was just like, okay, wrap it up. We gotta go. I gotta beat traffic. So I got I got there <laughs> at like 250. And by 3:30, I'm looking at my phone, like, come on, we gotta wrap this up. I gotta beat traffic. And I and so, get back to my office. So I can do work. So, so get this. At 5:15, we leave there. I got home at 7:05. Like almost two hours straight of driving. Guess how many miles it is? 38 miles. If you go, if you go nose to nose 
38 miles could take you two hours in Los Angeles on a Friday. 17 miles per hour. No, wait, 18. No, no, 19 miles per hour. Is that 19 miles per hour? I, I yeah. don't know. I'm yeah. so, I am super slow, man. I, I no. Amy it, and Baby like, and Bug was, been fighting. No, here's the cold. what the miles per hour was. Here's what the miles per hour was. There was a lot of zeros, right? <laughs> and then there was some elevens, and then there was some zeros, and then there was some thirties. That's how there it went go. the whole fucking time. But guess what? So after it took it took almost an hour to get from Sunset and Doheny. To the Hollywood freeway, almost an hour down Sunset. So then, and it's rush hour to downtown. I expect that. And then it's rush hour past downtown. I expect that. And the 710 and blah, blah, blah. And, and I get to the 605. It's it's bumper to bumper the whole time, but I have the transponder. I beat a little bit of traffic. And, um, but then that backed up. I'm getting to the 605 is usually where I cut off because my brain says, get the fuck out of here. Get to another freeway. It's not going to be crowded on that other freeway. And it always <laughs> is. Right? Doesn't your brain tell you that? Like, get to another yep. freeway. This freeway is yep. clogged up, Bob. The other one that runs like this, uh, well, there's nobody on it. There's nobody everybody's there. there. Everybody's yeah. here. Yeah. So, and I can't get over because it's so stopped bumper to bumper traffic. This is like at... 6.15 on a Friday and the 10 freeway. And then I look ahead and I see it open up. Now, for those of you that are from the IE or travel a lot or go to Palm Springs or whatever, the 10 freeway from the 6.05 to the 57 has been under construction, I kid you not, for 23 years. It's been <laughs> under construction. They're going to finish it sometime. It's finished. It's finished. <laughs> what? It's fucking finished. No, it's amazing. It's seven lanes and it's on each beautiful. Side? And there's no orange signs and there's no barriers. It's beautiful. Why don't they announce that on the news? The people of Los Angeles need to know. Hallelujah. The 10 freeway. Keep it to yourself. It's just your personal freeway right now. It's like Larry yeah. David on uh, on Curb Your Enthusiasm. He doesn't give away any of his uh, any of his shortcuts. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I didn't want anybody knowing him. I was just, I was astonished. And then I realized, uh, anyway, it's a long story, but, um, but, you know, I just got to get used to the fact that you go to LA at three o'clock, you're not, you're not coming you're home. There's a, there's town, you're a, completely cross town. You there's a, there's an REM song. You can't get there from here. That's what yeah. I felt like on Friday. You can't. Yeah. From where you are, Bob, that, to home, you can't get there, right? Isn't that driver eight? <laughs> yeah, no. but no, the, but, I don't know. I don't it, know, but I, I don't. I don't. I, I'm getting them confused because I was just. I was. Where was I driving? Where I actually listened to a podcast, and it was Josh on the Creatures podcast oh, with yeah, Budgie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was on there with oh, Budgie and Lol Tolhurst. Yeah. Oh, I know. Uh, how, I know those guys. It was it was pretty cool. You should get on that show. They're interesting. No, I men. I, I kind of hinted to Law, and I wasn't asked. So I just thought, like, really, you know, I am a I am a what is what am I? I am a, a genre specific. I'm just a recovery podcast guy. I don't I don't cross over into rock and roll. I'm not important enough. But see if it's a recovery, <laughs> if it's a recovery theme podcast. I mean, I could be guests on probably a podcast every day if I wanted to. There's have you ever seen the health and wellness podcast um list on Apple Music? There's no. like 
there's like 4,000 health and wellness addiction, you know, mental health podcasts. Do they pay for, do they pay for guests? No, but it promotes your podcast. It's called cross brand. You know, it's like when a rapper guests, when a rapper guests on a track, you know, like when he comes on a Drake track, you know, that's like me going on a health and wellness podcast. It's like me and Drake and ye and, the whoever I'm doing the podcast, whoever I'm doing the podcast with, I did a bunch of them. A friend of mine has a good one. I forget the name of it though, but um, you know, and they're all that's helpful. All, huh? <laughs> that's helpful for him. No, <laughs> uh, I, I forgot. I'm not good with the podcast names. I don't even know Marin's podcast. I just call it Marin's podcast. It's WTF? What the fuck? Oh yeah, yeah. What the what? What the fuck? It's like, yeah, what? but it's just it's Marin. And then um, I don't know. Bill Burr has one. I don't know what he calls it. It's just Bill Burr's podcast. God, that those are the, funny. Those are, the, those are the two best podcasts, Bill Burr and, Mar- and Mark Marin. Those are, uh, to me. I'm not a Rogan guy. Are you Are you a closet Rogan guy, Mike? I just always wanted to ask that. Hell no. That guy. No? No, I don't, really, I don't like him at all. Did you like him at one time before he Never. became a kook? Never. Never liked him? No. I liked him when he was all coked up and announcing UFC stuff because he was the best UFC. But I'm not saying that he's not he's not smart or he's not intelligent. I just I don't get it. You know, I just don't get the popularity. You know, well, a lot of here's what I think. A lot of people just have like long drives or or just nothing to do. I don't know. Like there's hundreds of millions of hours of people just talking about nothing and people listen to it. It's amazing to me, right? Yeah. So so. I'll outdo both of you. I loved Rogan when he made people eat bugs and when he made people oh, lay in tubs Fear Factory. Of, or yeah. Fear Factor. Fear Factor was, was a fun yeah, show. Yeah, he was huh? on a, a show called Fear Factor. And I remember being excited because I saw it. What year was Fear Factor, Chuck? In 2005 oh I used to watch Tristan, that. I Tristan even, was even, young. I didn't even put the two together. I, That's and, Rogan. Oh, so, shit. so I see the first show of Fear Factor, and I, t- I told my friend that I, uh, that when I was watching it with, I go, I know that guy. He plays a comedy store all the time. I remember saying that that, that I recognize because he was like a regular at the comedy store. He was always kind of he was funny. He had funny jokes, but he just never was all that in a bag of chips. Like you know, when you see, uh, you know, I, I was at I was at the Belly Room one time when it's famous when robin williams walked in and just walked right on stage and then sam kinnison came walking in and they just did a duel like at each other for like an hour it was it's it's in the documentary (laughs) the comedy store and i and i don't know if it's the one that's on the thing but i remember being there robin williams there was a comedian standing on stage robin williams just walked in the club he was kind of drunk saying hi to everybody really loud and talking to everybody across the room. And then he just walked right up on stage and stood next to the guy while the guy was doing his routine. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. like, uh, uh, finish up. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not rushing you, but you got to finish up. And so then the guy, then the guy stopped and walked away and then Rob Williams took over and he did, he was kind of drunk and he did some stuff. And then Sam Kinison, I think, was in the other part of the comedy store and heard Robin Williams was there and came in and just fucking, they just went at it. Some of it wasn't even funny. It was just kind of chew, 
mentally <laughs> ill people going oh. at each other. <laughs> like, was it sad? Was it like a bum fight? <laughs> it was kind of like that. Kind of like insulting each other and you but but loving each other, hugging each other and then until it was weird. But um, but the, uh, Rogan used to be there all the time at the comedy store because I used to go to the comedy store and Mike Martin knows this because Louis Lista, the great harmonica player from blues bands in Hollywood at the cafe and Raji's and Louis Lista w- w- was the bar manager, I think, at the comedy store. He was he was he was not just a bartender. He was a manager of some sort. And so I could just go in the back door where the comedians walk in and just say, Louis here. And then they give me drinks and I could be at the comedy store. Nice. And so I saw everybody. I saw Kinnison. I saw I saw Chappelle. I saw I saw the first time Dice Clay played in L.A. That was crazy. He was, <laughs> and, and you're talking about in a room with really people that are hurt at all. And Dice was able to make people go, oh, no, oh, you didn't just say that, did you? Yeah. <laughs> Are you fucking, it's when he was on his AIDS kick and he was talking about AIDS, like, dude, oh, nobody's no. talking, nobody's <laughs> joking about AIDS right now, sir. Have, you not, gotten, have <laughs> yeah. you not gotten the memo? Have you not gotten the memo? Ever since Me Too, he's been he's been like he can't even do his act. Everything in his in his act is like against the Me Too thing. It's like what about this? Is in like this is in like eighty nine? When when did when did he start? Can you look it up? When Dice first started, like maybe ninety, and he was like making AIDS jokes, like when they were having when they were having like when they were having like Keith Haring tribute albums. He was like, he was oh, no. like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like dice was something else. So that that was my my thing is like this connection to to just being alive and being out in the world. Go to the comedy store. Go see bands. Go live life. Go do things and go meet. Go to McDonald's. Bring your kids to McDonald's. Like and let them play with other kids at McDonald's. And that brings you around other people. Makes it makes you have to hear other people's ideas, see other people's lifestyles, sh- listen to other people's opinions and become more resilient. That's how you do it. That's how you become a resilient society by participating in the society, not by staying home by yourself and emailing and twittering with all people that agree with you and then and then this is my main thing of the week. Bet Midler <laughs> Bette Midler is probably, if you ask, probably one of the three greatest human beings I've ever known. She's an amazing, amazing, caring, loving, self-effacing, funny, amazing person. And because she said something that, that you can misinterpret, transgenders are trying to cancel her. She was the mm. most... She was the most loving towards the gay community I'd ever seen. So when I got sober in 96, a friend of mine said, you know, you're so selfish. You're so glorious, Scott. You're so selfish. You got to always do for others or whatever. So just going to meetings is not enough for you. You need to volunteer. That's what she said. I was talking to this other guy. He said, oh, I deliver food two days a week. You want to do it with me? And I was like, well, you know, I know I was still a little bit of. Does it involve traffic? Yeah, yeah. Does it it involve (laughs) doing things I'm not. Do I have to lift anything heavy? Do I have to do anything? So I asked him, so what is it? And he goes, just just show up at this thing on Tuesday. 
it was in Silver Lake. And, uh, and, um, we, there was all this food in the parking lot of this place and they were putting it all into bags and whatever. And then they taught me like put them into bags and whatever. And, and you just take this groceries and we had all these addresses and you just take these two bags of groceries, half of it was frozen that you can make these meals or whatever reheat. And then a bunch of it was just sundry items like peanut butter and bread and whatever. And take it to these, to these addresses, to these people's house. And I said, what do you do? And they said, well, it's, it's, um, homebound AIDS, um, men mostly. Yeah. Homebound AIDS men. And they can't go out. And I was like, can't go out. Like, you know, I went into a dark place from 93. So I hadn't, I didn't really know what he was saying. I said, what does that mean? Well, I soon learned that this is before the real antivirals and the miracles of AIDS treatment. So you would get these skin lesions and they like black mm -hmm. lesions on you, on your back of your hands. I noticed most of all, and kind of like old people get when you get bruised, I get them sometimes now, but they would turn black and they were big and they'd be in the arms and on their face and stuff. And so, and, and, you know, AIDS was so shunned upon and, and just like, it was a, different world back then right yeah so these men felt like yeah. they couldn't go out in public and some of them were sick and some of them were on oxygen and he just brought the food to them and i just you know i felt like i don't know why i just felt like they were lonely so i would always go inside and help put the groceries away and talk and hang out and whatever and i got to know my route it was i think tuesdays and thursdays one day i get there really early and it's all Ralph's bags. The food actually, by the time I had usually gotten there, was already getting put into the bags that we take them to. But I was inside the building and I was like, Ralph's? How are they? Who's? I said to the guy, who's behind? Who's? Is Ralph's donating this food? And they said, no, Bette Midler just pays for it. She paid for this whole program called Project Angel Food for years out of her own pocket. Just to uh, get free, yeah. just to like, like, and these people, she said one misquote, kind of. She wasn't trying to go against the transgender community. They're just so sensitive. They're just ready for any fight. And they should yeah. look up the history of Bette Midler. This woman has done so much for so many people. I just don't get it. I don't, I don't get how, if, because uh, I come from the 80s kind of political world, right? So we wanted people to realize the United States imperialist uh, a militaristic government was killing people in El Salvador, killing people in Nicaragua. They were, they were just, just, it was horrible. And it was in our name with our tax dollars. So what you're trying to do is convince people that, that it's not that America is bad. We're just doing bad things. And you have to convince mm -hmm. people to get on the side of good, which is what Martin Luther King was doing. Get, let's show America on television how awful these police are treating people and how he, inhumane these, these laws are in the South. Jim Crow laws and, and separate but equal. Let's show them. And then they'll realize they'll want to get on the side of righteousness and good. Right? Okay. That's different than the arguments made today. The arguments oh, are yeah. you're a bad person. You're an idiot. Because yeah. you don't yeah. agree with me or you don't share this thing. I don't see how you're going to convince anybody if you're labeling them bad and wanting them canceled. What does that do? That's a scare tactic to get its tactic to get everyone in line. Mm -hmm. Right? Not going to work. Fear never works. It might work short term, not going to work long term. 
You're not going to convince hearts and minds of something with scare tactics and intimidation. You're not. Right. I mean, it's like even did you watch the Chappelle's acceptance speech for the auditorium? I forget no. where it is. But it's a short thing up on Netflix. And he still has to revisit that that thing. And he has to, he has to talk about how how much he embraces gays and how he went to school, went to school, went to theater school, went to the art school with the gays and how great the gays were, because obviously he's still getting all sorts for I mean, I, I get it. I'm not a transgender, so I don't know what it feels like when people say things. But, you know, I've been picked on. You've been picked on. Mike's been picked on. And it's one of those things where if it's funny, it's funny. If it's not, it's not. But that's just me. I'm, I'm used to taking it because I dish it well, out. I'm just, I'm just strictly talking about how do you win hearts and minds? That's what it's called. That's what Martin Luther King did. He won hearts and minds. Like he convinced the, the people that what the people's government was doing was unrighteous and wrong. And that's how everything changed. It's different than just demonizing George Wallace or demonizing a part of the population. It like that doesn't that, that didn't help because the part of the population you're trying to convince can say, well, I'm not George Wallace. Well, I'm not a bad person. I'm not racist. And that's how the whole thing stays static, stays the same, right? Right. You've got to convince people that what you're saying is righteous and loving and, and good and, and the right thing. And then when you believe that, you will win. And it has nothing to do with demonizing other people. It doesn't. It has to do with you raise, rising up your righteousness, the righteousness of the the African American community, the righteousness of the gay community, the righteousness of the transgender community, the, the, it, it, demonizing people and and pointing fingers at them and 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 trying to cancel them, it doesn't doesn't raise up righteousness. It makes you look petty. No, it creates more. It creates more division. Well, that it's what I believe <laughs> it's what feeds the other side. The other side. Here's the thing. I don't think Martin Luther King was was naive thinking he's going to convince uh you know southern racist Ku Klux Klan members. He was no. trying to reach people that were reachable. And and that's all you can do in a society. And and by demonizing the people you could reach, you're going to lose. You're going to lose <laughs> that argument. Right? Yeah. Because the because the people who hate you and really are bigots and really are against you and and all the bible stuff and all that all that stuff they're never going to be convinced so you got at least 50 percent of the population i mean you could just look at look at the voting so if you take the biden uh trump campaign all the trumpers not a lot of transgender sympathy so what are you talking about 160 million people 160 million people not really on the righteous side of transgender rights 170 million Okay, those are your people. Make them, lift them up, make them aware, make them be more inclusive, you know, reach out to them, engage them, educate them. But canceling Bette Midler is not going to do it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and on, the, on the other side of the subject of drugs, I see this new prejudice going on against people who use drugs on the sober community. And I don't like it. I had a meeting this morning about it. Like, I don't want my staff, like, 
you know, being negative about people who relapse and people who use drugs or people that say, you know, fuck you. I hope, you know, I just want to use and all that. And there's this, I don't know if you sense it, but there's this real anti people who use fraction of the recovery industry for sure. And the recovery industry is an ex- just an extension or a, or a part of the recovery community in general. There's just this real intolerance of people who use. That's not how people treated me. That's not how people treated me. I'm I'm, I'm going to need you to be I don't know just be more specific or cuz I don't really don't understand exactly what you're saying. Like but oh hey that's awesome Sid. Good job. Okay, I'm doing this don't, thing. I'll be in a I'm in my office. I'm working. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> so she finished her Lego set. So nice. uh, so listen. Um uh a uh, a uh, a uh, staff member, uh, uh, old, uh, I don't know how to put it. I don't want to throw the person under the bus. So somebody I know that I worked with for many years died of drugs the other day. I don't, I don't even know if it was the other day. I heard about it the other day. It might have been in the last month or two, the way, you know, it's weird how information, if you're not around somebody, you kind of hear it like, oh, no. And then when you talk to somebody, they say, oh, no, he died like six months ago. It turned out he died like a month and a half ago or two months yeah. ago. Um it's just this negativity towards that. I just immediately felt my loss of him and I hadn't seen him in a long time and the fun times we had and whatever. And I, I didn't take it personal. Like I, I don't see it. I don't, it doesn't make me mad. It doesn't even make me sad. It just makes me kind of, I don't know. I just right. remembered him and the fun times he had and how stupid he was and crazy and funny and, and he had a really crazy life story, which was amazing. But I didn't, I didn't feel any good, bad, thumbs up, thumbs down about him. And you, everyone you since you then, yeah, you weren't. Everybody's about. like, well, you know, he's been using for years. Like, oh, I didn't know that, but I don't really care. Like, that's uh, that's sad. But, like that you makes never, it that, that makes it okay. Well, he, he yeah, might, you, you know, know what I'm that, saying. That, like, that's like that's my, the attitude. Like, I, the not- yeah, what what is that attitude? Like, it's just fucking sad. A, a person I worked with for seven or eight years died of drugs. It's just sad. It, it's and it and it sucks. And that's the way, unfortunately. It goes a lot of the time, not all the time, not nine. But why out of do 10. people have to jump to that demonizing, using, and demonizing the person? Yeah, they skip that part in the book that says that people can recover under any conditions and any circumstances. You know, but but do you get so far away from using that you don't understand using anymore? It's you like, know, I, I always I've, I always understand using. I totally understand it. I, I, I understand why asking. People, I understand why people do it. I mm-hmm. understand what is appealing about it mm-hmm. because in, you know, Gloria had you read a lot of fucking crazy weird shit. She loved this book, um, the art of war the, because she saw it as this thing of how, uh, I don't know. She got introduced to it in the hippie movement, like how to, how to strategize against the government or whatever. And one of the things in the art of war, is, what's the guy's name? Sin, Sin Tzu or something. I, yes, I thought it's Sin Chao. It, it, yeah, yeah, it's Sue, I think, or something. Anyways, um, you talking about Shizu Abi? Yeah, yeah. There so he go. says, he says, to defeat your enemy, don't look at their weaknesses. Look at their strengths. I always remember that. So mm-hmm. most people, when they're strategizing to beat somebody, 
they're like looking for the person's weakness so they can capitalize on that. You have to be aware of this person's strengths so that you can protect yourself and not be vulnerable to their strengths. Drugs have lots of strengths. Using mm -hmm. has lots of positive kind of things in the brain. The brain longs for relief. The brain, the human condition, fear of death, all these things are factors into what make drugs so appealing. Escape. Um, when, you know, and I and I have this feeling that people get sober so long, they forget drug strengths. Oh, and maybe I that's <laughs> maybe that's well, maybe that's why they're so susceptible to prescription drugs. Like yeah, maybe because prescription it, you know what drugs. I mean? And to be able to write somebody off, you know, it's like when I hear someone's past, especially that I know someone has a history, I don't ask anymore. You know what I mean? It's been a few years since I've asked, did he overdose? You know what I mean? But yeah, that's, I just, that's I always, just, people also want to separate the themselves from I, that. I assume, I assume anybody I know that dies before their time died of drugs, right? Or something I've that only, happened because they were using I've it. I've right? only been wrong one time <laughs> in hundreds and hundreds of deaths. I've only been wrong one time. And oh my God, I felt so awful. Because I had heard this friend of mine died, guy I love. And I was like, yeah, probably, yeah, probably, yeah, oh, yeah. Then Dr. Drew called me and said, what happened? I said, well, what do you think happened? You know, probably drugs. I mean, sure, we'll hear about it, but let me do some. And I do some recon for like two days. It was hard to get the thing. Then I talked to the guy's best friend. He said, no, he had like a heart attack. And then he had, he went home and then he went back to the hospital and he had another heart attack in the hospital and there was nothing they could do. And I was like, oh, shit. I told Dr. Drew he died of a drug. <laughs> <laughs> well, was the heart damage from drugs? Was it a lot of cocaine? Yeah, we I could probably trace more. it back. I needed to dig more. I needed <laughs> yep. to dig more. I was kind of astonished that Andrew, uh, that uh, Bourdain hung himself over kind of a, a girl. love loss. A, a girl. girl. Yeah, and that a girl. movie. I, and yeah. he died completely sober. I was like, I was kind of sure that he probably, you know. A lot yeah. of people have died sober. That's an, killed himself sober. I know, yeah. I know two people that did. It's yeah. crazy to me. Like, if I got a choice. If I got a choice between using or killing myself, using definitely becomes a possibility. Well, if, if those are the only two questions in the arena, if you came to me and said, you can either get high or you can take your own life, I think that's a pretty easy call. <laughs> but how do you know that's really the call is the point? And well, Anthony, would Bourdain have to obviously, know. Anthony Bourdain obviously didn't know that was the call. <laughs> you know, anything other than for surely ending you, it. I, I wasn't close with him, but I know people that were in New York. I wonder if some of them said there's an old AA clubhouse down by the Holland Tunnel. I wonder if his friend said, well, at least he died sober. Yeah. Like, I, bet you, I bet you they fucking did. Uh, I bet you. You know, he's a good man. Went out a winner. <laughs> yep. What happened? Went out a winner. <laughs> Killed himself a winner. Oh, my God. Yeah. If it's, if it's a choice, everybody listening at home, let's get the rules. We don't have a lot of rules. Do we have any <laughs> rules to don't die? We don't have any except for don't die, right? Just don't so, die. so if you keep in line with our only rule, which is don't die, if you really believe the only choice you have is using or killing yourself, use. Yes. <laughs> so we have a, we have a, we don't even, it's, 
Are it's we not clear? even a second rule. <laughs> Technically, it's not even a second rule. We're just asking you to remind yourself to adhere to the first rule. Right. The only rule. Right. Because that that's that that is breaking the first rule. That is a violation of the first rule. See rule two, preferably marijuana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something yeah, no, that, our, and put yeah, on the bad news bears or something. Uber to a Uber to a bar and have a few cocktails and call Mike. He'll come and get you. Yeah. Right. And watch Arthur or something just ridiculous. How? Oh, man. When I, I was drunk in my prime of drinking when Arthur came out, I thought I was him for like two years. I really did. He was, he was, so, he was so cute and funny so and suave and yeah. rich and cool and thoughtful and just shit faced drunk all the time. Yeah. He was, my, he was my role model. He was my role model. <laughs> And uh, yeah. another role model was, um, uh, okay, so when they were doling out punk rock names, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I it was like 1980, they were doling out punk rock names. Really? Who was doling them out? Like Mitch, Mitch, Han Mitch Hansen, Chris's brother. Same guys were giving out germs burns. <laughs> I mean, you, oh can, you can... You could consult hey, about your don't make name. Make fun of that, Chuck. You I could, have one right there. You, you, you <laughs> could, I bet you do. You could consult <laughs> about your name. Like I, I, you know, and I think it was like 81 when it became Flea Tree. And JK was there, Mike. I don't know if you know the Flea Tree squeak. <laughs> it, so so they were going on a hiking uh on a, 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 a vacation, you know, like when you go in the woods, whatever the fuck yeah, that yeah. is. I I never do it. So Campy. Camping, yeah, they're going camping, and they decided they would name. You know, they needed you know punk rock names or real names or whatever. So I believe, and how the story goes, and we could check with Flea, but I think J.K. came up with the names. J.K. is a friend of me and Mike's, yeah. and Flea's and Anthony's, and so J.K. said, "Well, you're Tree, you're Flea, and I'm Squeak," and Squeak <laughs> <laughs> and Squeak never. It just never because <laughs> he's got such a great name. His name is JK. Like, why would you change your name? But tree right? and flea stock. The flea still trees, tree. Yeah, tree. They're what about swan? Who came up with a swan? I think Anthony came up with it himself in a song. Oh, oh I don't you, think he, you don't I don't get think, to name yourself. I don't think he no. ever intended, but I don't think he intended that to be his name. So, but um so Mitch Hansen, uh, uh, there was uh, one girl was named Dementia Precock, which was a mental illness disorder. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's true. Mitch was doling them out. You know, Mike Martin knows Mitch Hansen, probably one of the greatest characters in L.A. punk rock history. He really was unbelievably cool guy. And um, and so. Like he was an adult and we were children. And I remember I was staying at the, at their, there were two brothers, Chris Hansen, who we've had on the show and his brother, Mitch mm -hmm. was older. And I stayed at their house in Echo Park. Eventually later I moved in with them, but I stayed there. I remember, and I walked, you had to go to the, in through one of the, their bedrooms to go to the bathroom, right? The bathroom was between the bedrooms, like this weird shotgun house. And so I went to Mitch's and he was sitting there in a smoking jacket. Like, I kid you not, like a, a Hugh Hefner smoking jacket. <laughs> okay. <laughs> with coffee and watching the stock market at like six in the morning when I was going to pee all hungover. And I was like, <laughs> Mitch, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just playing the stock 
market. <laughs> Wait a second. Are you insinuating that's exactly with that how voice? he? No, that's no, exactly that's how he exactly sounds, and he's not he gay, talks. and he's not he's gay. He's not gay. But he just, he, he, just he, the first thing he, that comes out of his mouth, you go, oh, he's gay. And so he <laughs> he named me my punk rock name, and I'm I'm so I never liked it, and he's called me Bobby Bear. Oh, Bobby oh. Bear. <laughs> yeah, but Keith, so, Morris, because, Keith Morris gave you the buckskin. Yeah, buckskin. He gave you Bobby but, Buckskin. Bobby Buckskin. So it was just an elaboration. Well, maybe that of was, the, or was that Pete? No, it was it was a combination of people, like Keith, Pete, Flea, kind of added the buckskin. Because I was already known as Bobby. Everybody called me Bobby, which I didn't like because my name is Bob. And then everybody's calling me Bobby because Mitch Hansen calls me Bobby Bear. Oh, and I said, why do you call me? I said, why do you call me that? And he goes, you're just, everybody loves Bobby Bear. Everybody just loves you. I don't want the name Bobby Bear. That's not a good punk Aww, rock name. Bobby that's Bear, not a good punk cute. rock name at all. <laughs> so, so then, uh, like a year later, when I started smoking pot, because I tried pot in high school, I didn't like it. And then everybody I found and knew by 83 is smoking pot. So I would smoke pot and I just couldn't handle it. And I would I love to get naked and I'd get naked at strangers' houses and <laughs> at JK's. I got naked at JK's dad's house. And I was walking through the house and his sister and dad were there. And he's like, JK's like, you can't be naked here. And I was like, why not? Everybody's naked. Everybody's yeah. naked oh, under their clothes. Right? Oh, so, skin. So, and it was JK's house the last time I saw Keith Morris High. He was on mushrooms sitting in an inner tube in JK's dad's swimming pool. That was the last time Keith Morris got high, I believe. And uh, so, so anyways... <laughs> So I decide that I need my punk rock name to change to my favorite movie character, which is Nick Charles. He's the Thin Man in the Thin Man movies. Yeah. Okay. But but with names, you got to get everybody to sign on to calling you that, Chuck. I don't know <laughs> if you know this. <laughs> you so can't once, call yourself. Once everybody's calling you Bobby Bear or Bobby Buckskin. It's a really hard thing to keep correcting everyone. No, my name is Nick Charles now. <laughs> and they're like, and then, and then, and then, and then oh. having to explain, and, and no one on earth except for Tomato to Plenty knew who Nick Charles was. And Tomato is the only one who knows it because, oh, you're nothing like Nick Charles. <laughs> and I was like, I'm totally like Nick Charles. Now, for those of you that have seen the Thin Man movies, he's the smartest, richest person, detective. And he's and he's drunk all the time, and he's married to the most beautiful, wonderful woman, Myrna Loy. That's right? you all. That's me. <laughs> all the that's you. Okay, so let me tell you the, what. Let's go with my life. Was, woman yeah, let me go with what my life is like. I didn't have a girlfriend. I lived in a ninety-nine dollar a month office space on Hollywood Boulevard. I didn't have a car, and I had no money. But I felt when I Other would go down that, to Bordner's, exactly. when I would go down to Bordner's and walk in there and they knew me and I'd say gin and tonic and I'd have my gin and tonic, I felt like Nick Charles. Oh, That's what booze God. does to you. And ah. addicts need to, sober people that have been sober too long need to remember, you can take a guy who's four months behind in his rent in a $99 office space without a bathroom who doesn't have a job and no money and no car. And you give him a couple gin and tonics and he feels like he's the richest, suavest, coolest person on earth. 
That's what alcohol has as its strength. That's right. what methamphetamine has as its strength. That's what heroin has as its strength. You know, attacking its weakness, oh, you're going to get strung out. Nobody who's going to use drugs after a period of sobriety cares that they're going to get strung out. No, they know that going. They know that and they don't care. That's not the deterrent. (laughs) It's not the deterrent. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) So, So know your enemy's strengths. And alcohol and drugs have many strengths. And as sober people that are trying to help people who are struggling, who are relapsing, who are depressed, who are newly sober need to always remember that. Yeah. It's free. You know, I, I would, I just, I, I relapsed so many times. I remember relapsing thinking I don't belong in AA. Right. So why I didn't belong in AA is because I didn't want to be sober. (laughs) You know what I mean? They're talking all this sober stuff and dealing with a, a sober mind and body. I didn't want a sober mind and body. It was too scary. It was too fucked up. It was, I was being pulled. I had no reason to be sober. I didn't want to be sober. It was too, it, it was too raw. It made me feel too awful, insecure and, and old and dumb. I remember talking to Maureen, who was one of my most favorite AAs. She saved my life probably 10 times. Um, she and I got sober together and she was a little older than me, I think like two years older than me. So I was like 35. She's like 37. And we would, we were like the oldest people in every AA room we went to. Right. And we mm-hmm. had this bond together. And I remember her just saying, well, if we can do this, she said this to me one time in our first year or two of sobriety, if we can really pull this off, how amazing is that, that we got sober so old? Right. Because there was no people that were older getting sober in the 90s and in Silver Lake and Echo Park. Trust me. It was all 22 year olds and 25 year olds and 28 year olds. Uh Max, my girlfriend, was born in 73, I think. So uh, she was 23. I was 35. Like, you know, that was that, you know, that was the time of Mike of Campfire Girls and, you know, and Callie and all those people. And I'm like, 15 years older than that. Right. And it was just kind of, I felt alone. Maureen made me not feel alone. Like, and it felt, it felt good that she was a couple of years older than me. I got to admit it. Um, but we, we, you know, we just like, I held on to her and she held on to me. And we like, when we felt insecure and old and stupid and what the fuck are we doing? We just had each other. Right. And that's mm-hmm. what AA is at its best. Oh yeah. You know, that you know most of the time i was cool with it i didn't even notice but those once in a while be a couple of days where you just feel so lame and left behind and stupid and you know well that's just er- that's early sobriety anyhow because you're looking at your life and you're going i'm an idiot and what have i got to show for it i don't know at 22 i was just like these people are idiots that's what i felt like well that's that's because you were an idiot (laughs) (laughs) i didn't have a lot of no, I truly believe that. Like, I remember I went to my first AA meeting in Laguna Beach in 1978. And Chuck, Chuck C was probably there. I'm sure it was a mm. Friday night meeting. I'm sure he was there. And I was just like, this is so good for old people. Now I know where I can go when I'm old. <laughs> when I'm old. <laughs> if I, if God forbid, if my dreams don't come true, which I'm pretty sure they are, and I'm, you know, famous and rich and whatever, 
if things don't work out for me and I end up in a bad place with alcohol, because I really would never thought of myself as a drug addict then, 17, <laughs> or just drinking and black beauties. And I was going there for drinking. Um, that uh like yeah, if I yeah, if I ever needed this place when I get older, yeah, I, I would come here. Like I had a good feeling about it, I liked it, but it was just not for me. Like that's I'm seven. That's exactly the experience I had in 1980 something, like 83 or four. I got I got sentenced to uh six AA meetings and I went to Santa Monica and I knew it was there, and I always thought, you know, I'll try it someday. But you know, ten years later it took. Yeah. And, the, and you know that attraction rather than promotion part? Yeah. Gloria, Gloria used to always, she would never like coddle me. If I was strung out, she would always say, okay, well, I'm going to Brentwood. Meet me there tomorrow night. Or she would say, you know, there's this meeting at the improv in Santa Monica, the way Mike Mark said in uh, Santa Monica, the improv meeting. Remember yeah. that meeting? Yeah. So she'd say, there's noon, I'm going to go there, meet me there, and then I'll talk to you and whatever. So then uh, she would always make you go to AA before she would feel sorry for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, well, you, you got to get some skin in the game. You got to make some effort. Yeah. And yeah. I remember I went to... Um, the the improv on on the on the Santa Monica uh, promenade, and the speaker was probably the crush of my entire teenage years, like uh, just forever. This woman, Billy Barty. I no, I love this woman so much. Oh. Right now, there's a picture of her on my refrigerator, really? and I'm 61. Yeah, and and she spoke, and I was so like. Oh, now I really like AA. I really like <laughs> I, I could do this right? shit. Right. <laughs> I could totally do this shit. the problem with the AA was the not drinking part. But it was always appealing. And it just became more and more appealing as like Bowie and all these people are in it. It's just like, oh my God. Yeah, this is going to be great. When I want to stop drinking, this is going to be the most awesome thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> when I, yeah, when I, I had that, you know, it's funny. I had that same experience with Cubby when I went and saw Cubby speak. And I was just kind of, you know, lukewarm on AA. And then I saw Cubby speak and I was just blown away. I was so blown away by his openness and his his his, his whole Buddhist approach to everything, you know. And, and just Yeah, the, there's this welcome. miracle, there's this miracle people that are just so appealing. Yeah. Right. And um, and so you know, I just don't want I I'm never gonna forget what drugs are like and what alcohol is like and why people do them. And I think a lot of my friends have forgotten. They just like, what the fuck's wrong with them? What the fuck's wrong with them? They're drug addicts, dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. What the fuck's yeah. wrong with them? Yeah, I remember Gay's Egg. There's a few like, like shares like early on. You have, do you have those those memories of those early speakers who like never yeah, leave uh, you, right? Like Gay's X one time said, come on, I'm going to take a five-year kick. So he went to the big giant Santa Monica meeting or no, the one on Highland, the big church on Highland and Mansfield. Yeah, 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 yeah. Highland of Mansfield. And he gets up there and he uh, he shares about how he's had. Oh my God, I was crazy. I had sex with animals, and you know, all that. <laughs> <laughs> everybody was just like everybody was just completely blown away. And I was like, this guy is so. <laughs> I went. I went with Sal. I remember Sal in the Viper Room. Sal took a ten-year cake at Third and Gardner, and he said, "For the newcomer, I just want you to know this is the greatest thing ever." He said. Um, I advise, and you can take this or leave this, understand that anything you hear here is just somebody's opinion. He was trying to make that point. And he said, mm -hmm. but 
so I get to share my opinion. And, and what I would recommend is for the first 90 days, you should wear comfortable shoes for sure. <laughs> and, and, um, I recommend not only the 12 step literature, the 12 and 12 in the big book, but also a book called behind the, Sh the mask of a clown by, and, and he it was like an, it was like an autobiography of a clown. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the book is called behind the mask of a clown by so-and-so. And he was making a comment at the time, Chuck, you were too young to be an AA Bradshaw's <laughs> Bradshaw's healing the child within was almost equal to the big book of AA there for about two oh years. My God. It was sickening. People were quoting Bradshaw and, and you know, it's, it's my, you know, my, my child, my child inside me that I've tried to protect my whole, I'm so finally starting to protect my child within. And you heard these shares and Sal just went directly at it behind the mask of a clown mm -hmm. by, by the name of this clown. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, you can say, read this literature, but nobody, no newcomers have to listen to you. Right. You know what I mean? Just because you're right. talking about Bradshaw. And then when I was in my prime of AA, when I was going every day and I was sponsoring people and I was the most involved in AA is when that thing, the secret came around and people oh, started Jesus. sharing about that fucking thing. Uh, like no. I, and, and people wanted to take me no people i really respect were into it they don't want they won't admit it now 20 years later but some people i really looked up to and really respect were really into that and they wanted me to go to the church the church was on adams and la Cienega or something and i was like dude that's why AA is so appealing to me. It has nothing to do with church. Like, fuck church. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to church. Right? They're, they're, so I have a feeling that a lot of the trends that hit Hollywood AA and LA and Beverly Hills AA, they don't really spread to Orange County, do they? I mean, Mike, you kind of go back and forth. But like the secret is, was never popular in Orange County, I'm imagining. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. Do you remember when people were talking about the secret? Yeah, I'm, but it wasn't prevalent in... in the meetings that I was going to, and I was going to Hollywood and Orange County. So you always make fun of the Alano Club, then, but I love the Alano Club. That meeting then down there, and the yeah, AA. there's a guy. There's a guy. Every time he shares, he's just always angry. He's like 50 years sober at this Alano Club on Chandler <laughs> Chandler Lodge. He always that when they burn in desire, he goes. He, he always lays it out like, oh, my name's Bill. I'm uh, John. I'm an alcoholic." Been sober for nonsense. God bless and people in these rooms and whatever. I heard a lot of bullshit that has nothing to do with being sober or staying sober or getting sober. And I just want to say, if you want to talk to me after the meeting and learn how to get sober or stay sober, uh, I'm here for you. He'd say it every time in this real angry way. And so many people clicked with that. Like he would be surrounded after the meeting. Like I always thought, like, uh. what, an old, what an old grumpy asshole says the same thing every time. But, <laughs> but there was an art to it. I watched it years and years. And it's just like, yeah, he's, that's who he is. He's a gruff, angry old guy. But what he's really saying is, if you didn't like anything you heard here, come talk to me because I don't like it either. Right? <laughs> no, well, it's know, that good, thing good that point. everybody needs to identify with something. Yeah. You know, if Why you're not? new, if you're new, you're probably not going to click with a lot of things. And there was a lot of fun stuff. Like, you know, I went to this Marina Pacifica regularly when I was brand new. And I, had, I remember I got, that meeting. I, I got 30 there. days there. And one of my best friends who's actually passed away, uh, Greg Bordner, but he was passed away in a car accident. 
he was a tattoo artist and uh and was he, he drunk was he no, high he was not he was completely sober <laughs> well but, then we can uh, he was off-roading him. he was off-roading and somebody hit him from the side and just took him out Damn. but anyways he's he he i had 30 days and he said and he kept sitting next to me he said come on share share you got 30 days share you'll be all right you'll be fine oh so my I shared, god so i shared right 30 what, did days share? what did you share what did you say and the, then as soon the as first, you know, everybody clapped first, and blah blah everybody no, clapped and blah, blah blah what did you say what i don't remember say? right but he, he looks over to me he leans over to me and he goes man you sounded really fucking stupid dude <laughs> <laughs> goes man the, you know he was joking he was joking around i knew it the, but it was the funny first hollywood the first hollywood aa meeting i went to was with brandon brandon mullen he took me to the little house behind the fountain and fairfax church it was a little building that had like a weekday night meeting and uh and you know it was the second aa meeting i'd ever been to this was probably in 84 or something and and i remember who was in the meeting i remember the speaker and I remember what I said, uh, because I heard a lot of other people say it. So thank you for speaking. I, I, I heard what I needed to hear. This is my first share. <laughs> and you are. Thank you. Thank you. For, for, yeah. I said everything that everybody else said. <laughs> thank you for, thank you for speaking. I heard a lot of the things I needed to hear tonight. I'm so grateful and glad to be here. And thank you for letting me share. That was my first share. Today. There you that's, go. That's, yeah. <laughs> Safe. <laughs> <laughs> safe as hell right yeah and now and i remembered i hung i you know the prayer at the end freaked me out like i was told brendan told me no it's not religious no like fuck you they're they're chanting jesus and they're yeah. saying god right oh my. they're saying god no they're saying a prayer i used to say in catholic school yeah like right. you know and chanting it together this really freaked me out but i was holding hands with um the girl from Saturday Night Live. I just felt like, yeah, I can, I can, I could tolerate this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, so, so fast forward to when I get sober in 96, I'm so angry. I'm so atheist. I'm so this, I'm so that. And I, when I got about, I don't know, years, year and a half, so maybe a year and a couple months, I, I know I had done my fourth step. So it was like a year and th three months. And that I decided that people were sharing too much about the God stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you know, and I was pretty, I was pretty popular. I was pretty popular. It was kind of a meeting I started and, you know, and some, you know, pick people to share. And so it's going around. It's a lot of God. Was stuff, it the Bobby God, Bear right? meeting? No, that's Saturday night. <laughs> Saturday night is the Bobby Bear meeting about the Holics and Um No, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's going around. And I, I can't wait to share. I got something to say that's going to be funny, make everybody laugh, redirect everybody. You know, I run the whole show here now. This is Bobby Bear's meeting. And uh, Alexis gets picked. And I'm looking at him like, dude, you're picking me. Look, uh, come on now. I got something to say here. And so he goes, yeah, I'd like to hear from Bob. And I said, I'm Bob, I'm an alcoholic. And I just want to say this is not a religious organization. That's what's beautiful and appealing to me. And if there is a God, he can suck the butt juice out of my asshole. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh my God. You mean you have allowed him? You're going to hell for that, Bob. Yeah. Okay, how did, how did it play? 
how did uh, I go? How did I go from the compliant newcomer in 84? And thank you for speaking. I heard a lot of what I need to hear tonight. So grateful to be here. Thanks for everyone for having it, being here. And uh, I'll, let you, I'll, I'll pass it on. I'll pass it on. How did I go from that polite AA person to God can suck a bunch of ego? You were sober. You, were you, had so, you wanted to laugh, man. You wanted to get. <laughs> I really did. I really did. And I remember a clam was sitting next to me and he started clam. to scoot over. He started to scoot over away from me on the ground. He started looking up, he started looking up like, like lightning was going to strike me. <laughs> I was sitting but, next to Spider Middleman one time in a meeting, man, and he let a big giant fart, right? And he just, and he scooted away from me and he stared at me like it was me. And everybody, everybody turned around and looked at me like I was the one that farted. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've been, I've been getting some, Text, text message emails from people that listen to this podcast who are struggling with sobriety who aren't it's not all it's oh, not dude. only our gang of friends that are sober for 30 years there's a lot of people that like this show because we kind of talk about everything and i want to tell them like listen i i just shared that so that you can understand you can be angry you can say the most outlandish shit they can't kick you out you'll right. eventually I, I know i was embarrassed by that for years I, it was just who I was then. I just was angry and I, you know, I wanted things to be my way. I don't even know what my way was, right. but, but, and, and when I do say things like, I wish that people were more open-minded more loving towards people who relapse or people that are pro drug use or people that die from drugs. Like, I just wish there was more love in the world. That's all I really wish. And when you're divided and, and, you know, you're, you're like looking for like what they die from, you know, or, you know, the, some of us have to die so, so that others can live and all that stuff that I really is not my version of AA. It's really just because I think love is the answer. The people like Cubby and the people like Sal Jenko and Isaac and all these people that tolerated me and Mike and Susie and all these people that just tolerated my fucking insanity but using for years and years, using in meeting bathrooms, but only going to the meeting to bum 20 bucks to get dope. Yeah. And then and then being so angry and miserable and grumpy and saying outlandish shit for years in the beginning when I was sober, like that they tolerated me. Mm -hmm. They didn't kick me out. They didn't lecture me. Very few people lectured me. Um the I always tell the story. There was a guy named uh it was Gloria Scott's sponsor, and he uh what was his name? He's a legend in AA. He was friends with Dr. Bob, who's addict alcoholic story and um uh what was his name fuck everybody talks about him anyways glory thought i should talk to him so i won't go to this brentwood meeting i talked to him beforehand he's he's this he's this larger than life guy he goes so gloria tells me you can't seem to stay sober and i said well yeah it's been a real problem i've been to rehab like six times in the one year and he's like well uh she tells me also you're a musician and I was like, yeah, and you're quite successful. And I said, well, not, not, not really. He goes, well, do you have a car? Do you have, do you have a little money in your pocket? And I said, well, yeah. And he goes, well, why don't you go to one of these recovery homes like Cry Hope or Impact and take some guys out to a meeting and then take them out to eat and you pay for it. Maybe that you'll, you'll stay sober if you do that. 
And I oh. just couldn't connect the dots. He told me that in 1994, probably 95. I couldn't connect the dots. It wasn't until I really got sober and I was a year sober. Like, yeah, that's what I'm good at. I'm not good at the steps. I'm not good at sponsoring people. I'm, I don't believe in half of it. But I can go pick people up and get them and drive them to 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 um, American Hospital in Pomona. I can go get guys and cry help and take them to a meeting and listen to their complaints about their girlfriend or their parole. I can go be of service and try to steer people or show people that people do care. I can do that. Yeah. And I can say, I do that really good. Right. I do that really good. The steps, like, I don't even know what people are talking about half the time. I really you know, don't. But I think that's vital that you say something like that because we all find our own place, right? Some people are, are magic from the podium. Some people are good. They like to get there and help set up. Some people love people. You find your place. If you feel like you're not fitting in, you just haven't looked around enough, you know, because there's a place for everybody. Well, they always, I think they overemphasize the steps constantly. Like, you know, do the steps. It's a 12 step program. Yeah. You do them and then you're done. Whatever right. you can, or you can say you do them all the time or whatever. It, you know, it, it was not, I can tell you that the steps were not the center of Bill and Bob's life. They were not of being of service was 100%. spreading the word, spreading the word and the message that, you know, we're cool and we love you and we want to help. And it's cool if you don't want our help and we're always here. That right. type of message, right? Well, and not running people off so that if they do decide they want to come back or if they want to do it like you guys, like I did, we show up, we go, okay, this is the place. This is where I'll come if I ever want to. If I had showed up when I was a kid and someone had been a complete asshole to me, I may not have ever gone back. Do you know that Bob in particular, Dr. Bob um, Smith, his name was, I've been to his house with Dick Stenny. Um, uh, Dr. Bob, when he, when you, when he sponsored somebody, you went through the 12 steps in one week. Yeah. I've, I've heard that sometimes yeah. he'd do it in the, and do it in an afternoon that he would yeah, set but, aside but a few would, hours in an yeah, afternoon to do the fourth and fifth. And then he'd do six and seven, but he would go with you to amends. Like he'd go to your ex-wife or your estranged wife and sit down with you and, and just sit there while you said what you needed to say. And he supervised the A step and he, and he was really active and involved and he got you going on your way. And then you're on the maintenance steps and he then did you're it done. in a yeah. fucking week. Yeah. And these people labor over four steps for years, a year mm -hmm. sometimes. Right. Oh, cool. Cool. I'll come in there in a second. Elvis finished his Lego. Okay. So I'll leave you with this. So, so I'm sponsoring a friend of me and Mike's. And I keep pushing him about his fourth step because mostly because I don't know. I just want to get it over with so I don't have to deal with him so much. Right. Because, you know, <laughs> they call it, they call you with questions about the columns. I don't even know the columns. I don't know. And then I call Gloria like, what are the columns? Like, oh, you know, the columns. I was like, I did it, but I don't know. And so so it goes on and on with this guy. And I'll tell you, his name is Mike. I'm not going to say his last name. So go on and on is months and months and months. So then he finally says it's done and he wants to get together to read it to me. And I said, okay, well, let's go after third and gardener. We'll walk over in Pan Pacific park and was considered a bench and you can read it to me. Cause I'd done that, you know, with a bunch of my sponsees. And he says, um, well, 
no, this is like, how long are you thinking? And I go, well, how long is it? It's like, you know, a couple hours, most, whatever. And he goes, oh, no, I have 154 pages. <laughs> oh, no. A hundred? And wait a minute. Let me let me get all those at home that have ever done a fourth step or ever sponsored somebody. A oh. hundred and fifty-four pages. Wow. I was like, "That's unnecessary." Yeah, I I won't sit and listen to that. That's what I said. I said that's unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. I won't sit and listen to that. So I said, <laughs> "But let's do it, and I'll show you what Gloria has shown me, and lots of other people that I respect have shown me." They just crossed it out. This is the same. This is the same. This is the same. The character defects are the same. This is the same. You're just being egotistical and going back to your all these people and all this shit. You're just being grandiose. It's basically that you're selfish and self-centered, that you're driven by fear, fear of not being adequate, not being enough, and you're just repeating it and repeating it and repeating it and repeating it. And I and I and there were so many names. Like I said, how you know, how are you supposed to even because this all leads to amends? Like you're gonna be yeah. doing amends <laughs> for like 30 years. Not much of a thinker, was he? Did you see how hard he made his night? <laughs> I know. Right? Wow, John. <laughs> and so and so I and so he he was gracious and he first he was mad and it took like a couple days and I said just edit just edit it down to the key things and I said let me tell you these are mine my mom my grandma my my dad my sister uh you know Anthony Pete I just named all the people that are on my fourth step like it's all the people that you and what I learned is and Gloria was great at this. She said, one of the things I want you to understand is these are the most important people in your life. These are the people you see every day. And you say you want to have a happy, peaceful, contented, serene life. How can you have a happy, contented, serene life if you resent and feel inadequate or angry with all the people you interact with every day? That's why you want to, that's why you want to let this stuff go. Mm right? But this guy had people that were dead, like people from elementary school. He was like 45 years old. It's just Aww. like, what? So anyways, I've never been a big step person. I'm more like, go help some people that are trying to get sober. You know, and, and that's really the, I think you hit on something that I always thought was really important. And that is, we're not really looking at the individual things. We're looking at our parts and for our, for our defects, where we're, where, where we have deficits and where we have, you know, um, an abundance of things. So it's just looking at me and how do I expect to be happy? And I could do that with 10 people or 20 people. I can see a, a pattern emerge. Right. And it's, right. it's, it's not, it's not as big of a deal to me. It's never been life-changing as much as it has been like exactly what it is taking an inventory and seeing what I'm really working with. Right. So I can see or, things or, as they actually are. But they, they have that word thorough and fearless moral inventory. Like what what do those words mean? Okay, that's so what, you put down the sex with chickens. You know, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I chickens don't know, but I've neutral. heard. Chickens are kind of <laughs> neutral, aren't they? Not hurting anybody. We eat them. Um, anyway, all right. But, well, maybe I'm just behind. All right, I've so only, shout, uh, let me see. Let me do a shout. That's fantastic. To, I like to, where your head's at, Bob. To our people on Don't Die, Shauna Swanson Reed has probably 47 days sober now. Awesome. I and, thought she was just, uh, wow. 
Add Anna Anna Wadsworth is on there. Oh so my God, Anna! Her. I know Anna. Yeah, Don Don Burnett, Rhonda Johnson, Don hold Burnett. On, Bob. Hold on, yeah. I got to name a few people here. Okay, there's uh, yeah. Okay, so Jack Tripper is on there. Um, I know Jack these, Tripper. Yeah, I don't know his real name. Pat uh, Frenchie's on there. Get, you know, French man giving uh, encouragement and uh, fucking heroin dealer. <laughs> Brad Avery. Brad Avery is on there. Do you know Brad Avery? Brad Avery, I know. Yeah, and then Randy Peprock, and uh, there's all kinds of people on there. Anyways, I wanted to say hi. Jed Shipper, Amelia Loza, Ashley Hunter. Adam Stasic, Eddie Ablos. We also have a Bob Forrest Don't Die um, Twitter account, and Splinters is very at Splinters is very active on there. Splinters used to be Graves. And well, then say hello to everybody on, on the Don't Die Facebook page. Let me t- let me just say one thing. Sydney Forrest is now very conscious of of calendars. We have she has a personal calendar that she carries around with her physically, and we have a calendar on the wall. And there are thirty four days until Sydney Forrest. Sixth birthday. Awesome. And we, are on, we are on a countdown. Awesome. And at the bottom of the thing she's done is so cute. All how many days? So today's 34, tomorrow's 33, and it's in every calendar corner down to big circle. <laughs> Good for her. There's I told I told them about your countdown to your birthday. Did you hear me? There's Sydney Forrest with her. Hey. There's Sydney Forrest. She got her. She got her cowboy hat at the Casey Musgraves concert on Saturday. Nice. My kids have had enough of me being in my office with the door shut. Got the Lego. Okay. Well, we got Sydney's cowboy hat. I, I, I did go see Casey Musgraves and was able to see Willie Nelson. It was like a, as close to a spiritual experience as you can get from me watching Willie Nelson and his two sons that he had in his 60s. Oh, uh, it was the guy that stole was, my song. The guy that stole my song. That horrible peck with the with the mask, with his friend. Yeah, guy. yeah. I didn't see him play. I saw him walking around. He never takes that mask off. I don't know what the deal is. But I saw a great uh, guy named Langhorns Langhorn Slim. You ever heard of this guy? Amazing, amazing no. songwriter. And uh, oh, yeah, but, you sent me that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. He's good. And and uh, and but but Willie, let me tell you something. Willie Nelson Dude, he's might eighty nine years old. He's he might be nine. he might be the closest. He has a song called um, "If I'm High, I'll Be Halfway." If I die when I'm high, I'll be halfway to heaven, or else I got a long way to fall. <laughs> like that's a, a new song <laughs> that Willie Nelson wrote. <laughs> Let me die if I die when I'm high. I'll be halfway to heaven, or else I'll have a long way to fall. I mean, you know, he's just like such a fucking heavy guy. And it was the first time I seen him without Bobby, his sister on the piano. I seen him since 1979 and his sister was always on piano. They didn't mention it. They didn't mention she wasn't there, but it was beautiful. If you get a chance to see Willie, I've been, here's another thing. I went to stagecoach in, uh, or, or Coachella, like in 2005, he played. And I kept telling everybody, you got to see Willie before he dies. Think about all the great <laughs> things in America. Miles Davis, Willie Nelson, baseball, Babe Ruth, Whole you know, Foods Michael Market. Jordan, Whole Foods, lemon, lime, water, <laughs> you know, 
all these mm-hmm. great things. Like we're forgetting how great, how great and wonderful and amazing things are. We've got right, a good, good night. guys. All right. Bye. Good night. <laughs> night. 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 Night